the human machine and the internal combustion engine are surprisingly similar, despite outward appearances. What you're hearing right now is the sound of carbon emissions in the form of CO2 from heavy breathing while cycling. Well, it's actually instrumental music from Nine Inch Nails, but you know what I'm saying. How is this different from this? Around 4% of the CO2 we release into the atmosphere, us humans, is doing this, directly moving CO2 from our lungs, generated by our bodies metabolizing the food we eat, into the air. When I cycle to work, I'm increasing the amount of CO2 I exhale. And we have a problem with too much CO2, specifically that C for carbon part, in the atmosphere already. So why do I feel guilt-free, in fact, downright chuffed, with this extra carbon I'm personally exhaling all over the place as part of my riding into work? Well, to know the answer, it means getting to know carbon just a little bit better. The beauty of carbon and the challenge of carbon is that it's everywhere. If I were to fall in love with an element, it would have to be carbon. Carbon's the life of the party. You'll know when carbon walks in. <laughs> carbon's just annoyingly good at everything. How can she be so versatile? Solids and liquids and gases because of carbon energy. Life has become longer, health's better, all because of this sort of free gift. So how did I come to be the most talked about, but least understood element on Earth? The levels of carbon pollution have increased dramatically. It's not carbon's fault. Know that carbon dioxide is building up. It's going to lead to coastal flooding, droughts, storms. It's the way we are using carbon. It's not carbon herself. And we're approaching a tipping point. Carbon is profoundly important in the universe. She is what makes us possible. To the birth of us and all of the life around us here on Earth. It's like finding a long-lost relative. Wow. A couple days ago, I had the pleasure of attending the premiere for Carbon, an unauthorized biography, a documentary feature that explores the origin and nature of carbon, the element, and how man-made climate change through the abuse of carbon and other greenhouse gases is just a chapter, and a small one, in the epic story of carbon, which is made in dying stars and which make up 30% of each one of us human beings, and which I breathe out at a rate of 20 or so grams of CO2 per kilometer I cycle. How that compares to other methods of commuting, and where that carbon comes from, matters. First, let's talk carbon miles, which are an offshoot of the carbon footprint. A carbon footprint refers to the total amount of greenhouse gases released into the Earth's atmosphere as a result of the activities of an individual or an organisation. So if you want to work out your own carbon footprint, you need to know the amount of greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide you're responsible for creating. But roughly speaking, there's the direct impact of using energy when we travel or to power our homes. And there's the indirect impact of the energy that's used to create all the things we use or consume. Overall, people in poorer countries produce far smaller amounts of greenhouse gases 
than people in richer countries do. The average amount of carbon dioxide emissions per person in the United States is about 16.1 tonnes per year. In China it's 7.1 tonnes and in the UK it's about 5.5 tonnes. But in the Democratic Republic of Congo it's only 0.03 tonnes. So if people in richer countries really want to reduce their carbon footprint they need to make huge changes in their lifestyles. It is a reminder that the declared aim in many countries of going carbon neutral by the middle of this century means a revolution in the way we live. And the individual carbon footprint is a potentially useful tool, but it's deeply flawed. Here's a clip from the excellent YouTube channel Climate Town and their video, Why Your Climate Footprint is a Lie. If you're like most people, you're waking up every night at 3 a.m. because you're so worried about your friggin' carbon footprint. We're talking bolt-up, cold sweat, neck whiplash like you're in a trailer for a Harry Potter movie. My carbon footprint! Well, I gotta shrink that thing down or else the whole world is gonna die like Harry Potter's parents or Dumbledore or J.K. Rowling's reputation as a beloved author and not someone with weirdly draconian ideas about gender. What are you doing, J.K.? Hello and welcome to Climate Town. Okay. We didn't all just start spontaneously saying carbon footprint. Somebody invented the term as a way to define the amount of CO2 a person generates based on their personal actions. And it seems reasonable enough. I mean, it's genuinely a good idea to consider ways you can lessen your personal impact on the planet, only that's not what a carbon footprint is for. Oh, that's what they want you to think it's for, but they're lying to you. And the way I know this is because the they I keep tantalizingly referring to, the people who both created and popularized the term carbon footprint, are none other than BP. What size is your carbon footprint? Tegen? Size of what? 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 No idea. What are you making? What is that? Not environmentalists, not the Democrats, not even my god king Al gore, the carbon footprint was strategically crafted by fossil fuel companies, question mark? Now you may remember BP as the company that, checks notes, dumped 200 million gallons of crude oil into the Gulf of Mexico. So why was a fossil fuel company sinking millions of dollars trying to publicize the term carbon footprint? BP regularly lobbies against regulations that would force them to make fuel cleaner. They tell people they want a carbon tax and then they spend millions making sure a carbon tax gets shot down. They've actually conspired with other fossil fuel companies to slow down electric cars and more fuel efficient modes of transportation. It just leads us to the inescapable conclusion that we as consumers are not free to choose between fossil fuels and a cleaner alternative because fossil fuel companies have rigged the system. So here's the thing. If you listen to this podcast on a smartphone, you're in the same boat right along with me as a citizen consumer in an extractive advanced economy, most likely. And as such, all the things surrounding you and me are rich, soaked, dripping in embedded carbon, which means our baseline carbon footprints are really high. But carbon miles, specifically the miles are kilometers for all of us non-Americans, we travel in a day has a variable impact that's in our power to choose. We get in a car, we choose to release carbon in the form of combustion exhaust. Ride a train, well, in the state of Victoria here in Australia, our trains are renewably powered. 
or at least the state government has bought enough renewable energy to cover the amount of power used by our trains. So all of us train commuters can ride a bit easier. But if you really want to be carbon aware, you jump on your bike. And cue panting, we exhale a bunch of carbon in the form of CO2, even more than I would be on the train. So is it crazy to be concerned with the CO2 in my breath and the increased breathing I'm doing when riding, as opposed to being on the train? Turns out, yes. What I'm doing when I ride to work and breathe heavier than I do when I'm on the train, I'm no heavy breathing train panter, is I'm metabolizing. My body is turning food into energy, which the engine of my body is then using to fuel my muscles. I'm running my biomechanical engine at higher revs. And in so doing, I'm burning calories from the food I've eaten. That CO2 I'm exhaling, that's carbon from food. Food grown in the days or weeks or months, if it's that really processed terrible food that I won't admit to eating, leading up to now. It's carbon that only recently was floating in the atmosphere, but was captured by photosynthesis and turned into vegetation, which I then ate or was eaten by something that was then fed to something that I then ate. There's no such thing as new carbon on this scale, so let's not think too much about this. Everything we eat has been through something else, and probably not too long ago. But point is, this carbon is part of the cycle. The problem I have with fossil fuels and their use, and my comfort with their use for my benefit, is Indiana Jones. What we're meant to learn from the adventures of Dr. Indy Jones is not to steal from the past to benefit your present. That there's power in the past in Arcs of the Covenant or Holy Grails, but the people who try to wield that power to dominate the present and the future get melted. Fossil fuel carbon has been locked up for eons, removed from the carbon cycle and to use literally millennia-old carbon energy to get to work or to go buy some milk. It feels, and it is, right, an absolute waste. And I've always struggled to explain or excuse all the times I've used fossil fuels this way. But when I ride a bike, e-bike or otherwise, I breathe easier knowing that the carbon I'm exhaling is no stranger. It's been here before. It knows this block. And that were we in balance, it would be plucked from the air to grow my next meal. And this cycle continues. And that's how I feel about carbon and cycling. Thank you so much for joining me for episode two of this six-part series, where I'm documenting my experience in a six-week-long medical trial using an e-bike to commute to work and to replace other trips. It's been a lot of fun. I can't wait to bring you more. I've got some great interviews, a lot of other voices lined up to join me on the show. This will be the last monologue episode from this series, but I hope some of those great clips have helped break it up a bit and kept things moving for you. Would love to hear any feedback you've got. You can reach me on hearmediastudios at gmail.com or on hello at climactic.fm. I've been your host, Mark Spencer. Have a great week. And I'll see you back here again next time.